Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome back to Fresh Take with Joey and Ranveer. This week we had our first ever repeat guest, Nick Roberts, back on the podcast. And we're talking about everything that happened in the 2020 election cycle uh, the storming of, I don't know, the Capitol building, and some fun personal stuff going on in, in Nick's life. It was great catching up with him. Um, so I hope you enjoy the podcast. But remember, if you like what you're hearing, give us a follow um, on all of the platforms that we're on. And also check us out on Twitter, at FreshTakeWRJ. And uh, please enjoy the episode. Welcome back to another episode of Fresh Take with Joey and Ranveer. I'm Ranveer. And I'm Joey. And today we are joined by our first ever repeat guest, Nick Roberts. Welcome back to the studio. Hello. It's been <laughs> quite a lot has happened in the world since I came on this podcast last. You yeah. became a, an, an, um, almost a national news story since you were on here. Yes, that happened. Do you want to speak on that a little bit? Sure, I'll mention it briefly. So in about, I think it was October 21st, um, my brother and I were just kind of joking around. And it was the day twin the whole, brother. My twin brother, yeah. Um, the whole Borat 2 thing happened and with Rudy Giuliani and um, his drama. And it was when he was kind of starting to gain influence with, like, the Trump circles. Um, and I tweeted kind of as a joke because he has this, this reputation as being really bad with technology. We tweeted a fake conver- – so it's like there's a lot of layers to this. We tweeted a fake conversation as um, me pretending to be Ivanka Trump texting him <laughs> and him completely eating it up. And talking to me like it's real, and the the conversation went viral. Rachel Maddow tweeted about it, like a lot of national reporters did. I mean, like MSNBC, CNN, all these things. Um, and it was a complete joke. And I I, I should have clarified it earlier. It took me about an hour and a half to clarify that it was a joke. Um, but I mean, honestly, I, I I like anyone that messaged me about it, like a lot of the reporters that messaged me and asked me if it was true, I told them it was a joke. Um, and I mean, a lot of them were in the same. Network, outlet, so yeah. you would have yeah. assumed that they would have maybe cross-checked it more, um, but it was really funny with hindsight. Um, I've learned my lesson in some ways, but I also, I guess, learned a lot too. And I had a lot of interviews with people, a lot of local press, um, and it was a really interesting day. Really, really interesting day. I mean, my Twitter notifications—I can't even, I can't even begin to describe. I mean, like my phone literally like t- turned off, like the power turned off at one point because I, I mean, I couldn't even scroll through the notifications. That's how crazy it was. And it was really funny. <laughs> and part of it, too, is Rudy Giuliani. Again, he has this whole reputation. He was our nation's cybersecurity czar. 
he was always been known as very gullible on social media. Like I learned all these other stories about Rudy Giuliani. Like there's this other guy, um, this guy Yasher on Twitter, um, who works for a few other publications, and he talked about how he had a friend who texted Rudy Giuliani out of the blue because he gives out his phone number to people, and he told him that he was like the prime minister of some like foreign nation, and Rudy Giuliani had a half an hour phone call with him without even verifying it beforehand or anything. So he's always been known for being very gullible, and that's why I think people really picked up on my story. Um, or not my story, but my tweet. And it was just kind of a funny situation overall. And you just recently referenced it again on Twitter. I, I referenced it again after um, Trump got deactivated from yeah. Twitter. And <laughs> I, 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 I sent a fake, this one I clarified that, it was a joke. And I sent a fake text from Rudy Giuliani, my brother did. And he said, hey Nick, uh, can you let Donald use your Twitter account? Because, <laughs> because obviously, you know, Trump uh, is not able to use yeah. his Twitter account much anymore. So, Would, Is a permanent suspension? Yeah, permanent wow. suspension. I, I didn't even know you could be permanently suspended, much I mean, less the president. If you uh, if you go against the terms of service and uh, is that the long constantly. the long text that shows up and I just hit agree? Yeah, exactly. Okay. That's exactly what it is. So yeah. I could have violated it many times over. For all you know, you could have violated it a thousand times. I it's my OnlyFans in my bio. I think. <laughs> yeah, the OnlyFans in your bio that makes sense. Yeah. Man, and that all happened in a day. I think day. it was Trump's OnlyFans too that really deactivated <laughs> yeah. his account too. I'll tell you what, it's 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 pricey. It's thirty six a month. Thirty six a month. Hey, that's a good value for for for. Was it Trump's or yours? It's Trump's. Trump's? Mine's only okay. two dollars. Well, actually, I pay you two dollars to look at yeah, it. Okay, gotcha. That it's makes a sense. Different. It's the it's a different way of doing it. Yeah, I like that. So that happened in a day that you put up the tweet, and you it was getting covered in, by in a couple hours. Oh, couple. oh oh within like an hour within an hour it was already getting covered. Wow. I, yeah. And I had I mean like. 20 message requests. Like, I can't even keep up with all the requests. I'm sure a lot of people were really nice to you about it. I'm sure <laughs> Yeah, everyone... yeah. People were so kind. Yeah. People were so understanding. <laughs> Most people were understanding. Like, there's mm-hmm. a few people that got upset. And honestly, I understood it, you know? Yeah. Like, especially considering I consider myself a professional person and hold myself to a higher standard. Like, I don't regret it per se. I just wish I came clean that it was a joke earlier. Um, I didn't think you would have to, because I know I, when I first saw that, I was like, "Ah, oh, that's a good one, Nick." <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, that's the thing is, I think people that know me knew it was a joke, but yeah. I think it was easier for people, and I didn't expect it to blow up like it did. You know, like I've tweeted a lot of things similar to that in the past. Like I, I the, one of the tweets that got like five thousand likes was I tweeted. Um, you guys know Jeb Bush, how he's like a big joke on the internet. Yeah, I made a tweet and I said, "Peas are the best vegetable." Don't at me. And then I had him liking the tweet as a joke, um, and. That tweet got like six thousand likes, but nobody made an issue about it, you know. I but didn't I think, realize that was a joke. No, it was a joke. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> yeah, so it's like they do this. I do this a lot. Um, and he's a memer. He's a memer. Well, yeah. I thought Jeb Bush just liked peas. He was <laughs> no, like looking no, for the no. keyword. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So that's happened before, um, and I guess not, nobody picks up on it sometimes. And that's the kind of the fun of it. Yeah. So you don't know if it's always real or not. Um, but there's a lot of people that are very gullible. Like I hate to say it, but a lot of the older people, like like people that are my age, do they really do anything? Was not real, mm-hmm. and they all like picked up on it. But like a lot of the older people, like based off of seeing their profiles, like I yeah. just tell they just believe a hook, line, and sinker. I think part of it's like social media literacy. You know, like there's a lot of jokes in our generation would get um, that other people should not, older people not get because they're just not as um, kind of aware of what's satire and what's not. And and and, and, and some people were comparing it to like the Onion and stuff. But at the end of the day, like I don't brand myself as a satire page, so I don't expect people to. But to me, I would just I guess assume that it's so it's so unbelievable like it's so yeah. crazy that you just assume it's not real but a lot of people did that's what i assume but again this is the generation where like the nigerian prince email right yeah swindled millions of dollars out of people so i get it i mean this is a little more believable than a nigerian prince needing money now but 
oh, yeah, I, I watched that unfold a little bit because I, I wasn't using Twitter that day, and I came back, and I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, I know. Everyone is mad at Nick right now. Yeah, that that seems to be a common thread on my Twitter sometimes. Everyone's <laughs> mad at Nick just randomly. Yeah, I just felt bad. I wanted to. I don't engage in conversations on Twitter because I'm terrified. Yeah, I'm scared. My I have like a very irrational fear that someone's gonna like reply to me and be like, "You look like you look like John Goodman," and that'll ruin my day. So I don't <laughs> respond to anyone. But I wanted to jump in a couple of times because. Some people are being pretty mean. Yeah, it happens. I, that's the thing is I've kind of come to accept. Like, I was kind of more insecure about this initially. But in social media, like, you just have to accept if you have a big thick following. Yeah. You just have to have a thick skin. Like, and that's the reality of it. Anybody that's successful in life has their haters, you know? And I don't mean to say that in an arrogant way. But, like, anybody that has any form of success, whether it's business, politics, even, like, you know, working in, like, science or something, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if you're working in an environment where people are competing for things – and social media is that. At the end of the day, it's, it's a competition for likes and clicks and all these things. And that's what, not why I do it, but that's a factor, you know? Because a lot of people, it's their job. There's a lot of influencers out there who their job is literally to get these likes and retweets so they can get the sponsorships, right? Mm-hmm. They, they, they are just um, not fond of people that maybe do it the wrong way or come about it from a different way. And there's a lot of people that wish they had that. So that's not obviously all of it. And there's some definitely valid criticisms of me, and I'm not the first one to shy away from that. Um, but... The thick skin is just inevitable, you know. You have to have it and be, be accepting the fact that you're never going to be, you know, able to please everybody. I think that's one thing that politicians, like when I ask them the question, like, what is one thing that you think that I should adapt now? Yeah. Well, even with, like, Poonam, it was, like, thick skin. Yeah. You know, because people are going to hate. And, like, in the age of social media, it's so easy to... Be a get, hater. Get one, be a hater, and but get one reply, and you think that like all of your followers think that, or all the mm-hmm. people that you know <clears throat> engage with you think that, and that's just not true. You know, it's so like on social media, the replies are so concentrated, and there's such a such a like compared to how many people actually see it versus how many people respond and interact with it, those are two completely different things. And when one person responds negatively that can you know that brings down people some people's days right and that's the problem too with social media in general is um if you look at social media and you look on a tweet there can be 10 positive replies um and you're gonna ignore those but the one negative reply really gets to you and the problem with that is the negative replies always do better and that's why i feel like a lot of the big politics influencers especially they're not very kind people like they're pretty negative they do a lot of like uh targeted um, I don't want to say bullying per se, but a lot of, you know, they attack their enemies pretty, you know, routinely, right? And the problem yeah. is negativity gets more clicks than positivity does. I mean, that's universal with everything in life. Negativity always sells. If you look at TV shows, nobody wants to watch a TV show, except for Mr. Rogers. Nobody wants to watch <laughs> a TV show about, you know, what kind thing happened in their city yeah. last week. If you look at local news, all about murders and mayhem and all these things. People want to watch the Datelines, NBCs of the world, all these murder shows. Like, you don't want to watch shows about these really kind people living out their dreams, you know? Yeah. Like, that's just universal in everything in life. People are attracted to that negativity, which influences social media and gets in your head so much more than the positivity does, you know? Very There's a lot true. of layers to it. Yeah. And that's what I've realized, too, with social media, is I can always be negative if I want to. But at the end of the day, it's not really a way to conduct yourself, and it's not really a professional way of doing it. And it's only short-term, you know, you know, it's only short-term satisfaction too. And you send that mean tweet to somebody. You're not yeah. really getting what you, all the kindness you want in the world out there. And as cliche as it sounds, like it's really important to kind of lead with your best foot because people are not going to want to be somebody that's also really negative all the time too. Very true. Yes. But um, it's easy to indulge that depravity of the human spirit. 
I think that's why it does so well in TV shows and social media is because it's like that's what I feel like humanity would be without like social norms and laws and you yeah. know the stuff that keeps us going. So when we see stuff like that, I think it's like a window into what a lot of people feel like is a basic human instinct, which is just being mean to people. Right. Which I think is almost intrinsic to the human species because we were built on competition with each other. Exactly. And the primates and everything. So I think it's built into our little monkey That's brain. That's a perspective, yeah. And I think it's kind of different, too, because we like to feel like we're – we like to watch other people do it and watch these mm-hmm. crazy things happening without actually doing it ourselves, you know? And that's part of it is we're kind of projecting our need for that onto other people yeah. and watching TV shows about other people being mean to other people. Like all these layers to it, you know? It itches a, it itches a deep head screen. Uh, it scratches a deep itch yeah. in, the old, in the old noggin um, where you can see these things without real consequences right. and, and kind of indulge yourself. And with in most that. people, it's completely subconscious. Like, there's yeah. no thought about it at all. They just like these shows. It just happen to be them. They like the people on Twitter that are mean to other people. I mean, that's politics. There's two tribes at this point. You like the people that are mean to the other, the other tribe, you know? You don't like the people that are like, oh, maybe we should be kind to them. Like, that's not – that does not sell on social media. Yeah. And that's something that everybody that gets into social media has to, like – be willing to accept or reject, you know, is the, yeah. the toxicity of it all and being mean. And I'm even guilty of it sometimes. Like, there's times where I'll send jokey – I'm usually, like, lighthearted about these things. But I've sent mean tweets in the past to people that I think usually deserve it. But I'm, I guess, more willing to give people the benefit of the doubt than other people are in terms yeah. of politics on Twitter. Well, if you look at, quote-unquote, nice politicians, I'd say the, the one that comes to mind right now is Mitt Romney. He's the yeah, one that's kind of, of yeah. being – Mormons, being, let's go. Well, he's being kind of, I think, kinder – than other people, um, and he's being vilified. He's oh, like yeah. being turned into the symbol of hatred in the GOP. Like everyone hates Mitt Romney right now. Everyone on the left hates him, and everyone on the right hates Mitt Romney. But everyone in the middle loves him. Everyone in the middle loves him. <laughs> centrists love Mitt Romney. I'd get a centrist love Mitt Romney plate in my car. <laughs> but I mean, it's because I think he's not being. He he's never been a confrontational politician. Oh yeah, not at all. But. And I think it kind of reminds people of, like, the good old days of, like, the Republican politics yeah. where, I mean, for all the faults of the Republican Party, all of the issues were less over, you know. Yeah. The racism was not as overt as it is now. The, um, I mean, Trump wasn't really involved in the party back then, you know. And he's been an enemy from, of Trump's from day one and vice versa. Yeah. So it's just been a natural thing that he's just not. The party's changed a lot. So. I think the Republican Party in our eyes is kind of flawed, right? Because, I mean, you look. Kind of. Yeah, I think kind of. <laughs> not not even not even yeah. very well, flawed. Yeah. You're, you're right. You're right. No, you're right. It's it is very flawed. But cuz you look at the elections before Donald Trump, right? I mean, you had John McCain who is like he's one of my favorite politicians. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh and bef- and you had Mitt Romney and then Bush Kerry Bush. Yeah, Bush. Like those are like to, in today's if they were to run today, I would vote for them, you know? Mm-hmm. They wouldn't even make it on the stage today, I don't oh, think. Oh, no, not even close. I mean, yeah. the the party, unless you can swear your obedience to Trump, the dear leader, there's no hope for you. I mean, that's really what it is. Anybody that's ever spoken out against Trump has lost their primary campaign because all he has to do is send a mean tweet about you, say you vote for your opponent, and then you lose basically yeah. on spot, you know? And that's the problem is that that brand you're talking about, the McCain's and Bush's and Romney's, will never, it's ever over. win another party or another primary ever again. Or for a while, at least, until the Trump thing is completely over. Yeah. And that the entire, not even Trump in himself, but this entire mentality of, of Trumpism. Yeah, Trumpism, yeah. Um, like, Romney, the only reason he even won in Utah was because it's Utah and there's a lot of Mormons there. And they love And him. they love Mitt Romney. That's the only reason he even won there. Yeah. 
He's their bread and butter. But seeing him speak out against uh, the insurrections in the Capitol, which we haven't even gotten to yet, <laughs> but um, was v- kind of because he spoke right after Hawley did. Mm-hmm. Well, did you see him in the background of Hawley's speech? Oh, yeah. He was lurking dead-eyed. over him. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, but he said something and the, all the Democrats clapped. I forget exactly what he said. He was talking about how um, the election was fair, you know. Right. Uh, even even um, Lindsey Graham said the election was fair. Even you know? Mitch McConnell said the election was fair. Right. So <laughs> when Mitch it comes McConnell. down to it, like there are there are quote unquote good Republicans out there, but it's for those guys like Lindsey Graham for Mitch McConnell who's gotten out of Trumpism too late. Um, it's just a bad show on their party, right? For sure. Well, I would say they're good Republicans. I don't want to say like an overarching all the Republican people are bad. A lot, of, a lot of them are pretty good people. It's just that it is very cultish in the way that Trumpism occurred. There's Republicans who don't subscribe to Trump's values and, and beliefs. They're quieter. Are you saying in terms of politicians or in terms of people? In terms of politicians and people. Because if you're looking at local areas, you're not going to get a lot of Republican candidates in local elections in, like, Nebraska. Like, sure, they'll put, like, I'm endorsed by Trump up there, but I don't think they fully follow the views that he— And that's the problem is they're willing to completely sell themselves out because they want his supporters. Yeah. And by doing that, they're willing to completely be silent about all of his nonsense. And that's why when Trump gives them a call and says— Hey, can you sign on to this letter and tell people the election's rigged? And they're like, sure, you've been loyal to me for these last few years. You helped That's us the build problem. the sawmill. We were talking about this beforehand, but the, the number one truth right now is if all these votes were anonymous to impeach Trump, you know, all these things, it would be virtually unanimous. I mean, all the Republicans know how bad he is. They've seen it for years. I mean, not, they're not stupid. A lot of them went to Ivy Leagues. They have law degrees. Yeah, yeah. they have law yeah. degrees. Like Josh Hawley, he's a freaking Harvard Law. He was a Harvard Law professor, went to Yale. Like, he's yeah. no dummy. Smart guy. Yeah. Probably one of the brightest guys in politics, based off what I've heard. Um, but they're willing to completely sell their soul out to further their own political career completely. Yeah. And that's the reality of it. Is a lot of them think that people do this in everything, right? They think, well, you know, the Democrats aren't great, Trump isn't great, but like it helps my career to go with Trump, so I'll go with Trump. Because they're in this mindset of Democrats are bad, Trump's the only hope, they listen to Republicans all the time, and it's impossible for them to wrap their heads around the fact that they're completely complicit in the cult takeover of our democracy and i'm hopeful that it'll be fixed but i mean it's gonna be a long four years and um the republicans are probably gonna take back the house in 2022 and 2024 is gonna be a tough year too i mean josh holly's probably gonna run mm-hmm. the mark rubio's the world are gonna run i mean pretty much ted every cruise is ted setting cruise up right now what I think Ted Cruz is really establishing the he fact is. that oh. he's going to run. Yeah, right. well, like, he wanted to look like a leader by being the first one. That's what mm. I'm saying. Yeah, you know? I mean that's the reality of it. When I they do like polls, sixty percent of the GOP, seventy percent of the GOP thinks the election was stolen. You know, mm-hmm. he's appealing to that base, and those people are the base of the party. They're the volunteers. They're the people that do the work. He wants to get them on his team before he they're on anybody else's team for 2024. That's the problem with the Republican Party is these politicians have realized that the only way they can succeed, whether it's running for Senate or president is by being the closest to Trumpism that they can be because the base is not the Mitt Romney's anymore. The base yeah. is the Trumpers. And that's the promise. People have realized that that's their only way to succeed in politics anymore is to be a Trumper. Yeah. And that's scary because it means it's basically a cult and there's no basically escape out of it because the whole party is basically sworn their allegiance to him. And it's really damaging that there's no 
appeal to become more moderate anymore. I mean, there's just nothing for it. You're not going to have anybody in 2024 who's going to run a serious campaign of, you know, I was the anti-Trumper because that's not just going to work. And I mean, even after a coup, there's nobody that's going to do that. Yeah. Nobody's going to do that. You're not going to see Gary Johnson up on that stage. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> not, no, yeah. Mountain of fight. I mean, like, there's Republican governors in three states that have pretty much consistently sp- spoken out against Trump in Massachusetts, Maryland, and Vermont. And those are three very blue states, okay? And they c- spoke out against the coup. But Larry Hogan, who's the governor of Maryland, and Charlie Baker, who's the governor of Massachusetts, have been rumored to be running for president in the future. And that's the thing. They're from very blue states. And even they won't admit they voted for Joe Biden, you know? Larry Hogan said he wrote in Ronald Reagan. Like, there's nobody can be sufficiently anti-Trump. Like, they all have to concede things to the Trump base because it's their only way of succeeding in politics in the future, even if they're in these deep blue states. It's kind of crazy to see how, you know, there's such we. I learned this when I was volunteering in elections. There's such a quick t- like it's four years, mm-hmm. but campaigning starts right when, right after those ele- like sure. results come out. Right. I mean. Um, let's talk about, you know, the election a little bit. Um, we haven't had you on since early, early September. September. Yeah. Sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and that was for election prep we were talking mm-hmm. about. So we didn't get to talk to you during the election season mm-hmm. really, but, um, afterwards. And what was your thoughts, I guess, when we were just sitting waiting, what were you going through as we were waiting for the elections coming out? Cause they oh. didn't come out Tuesday night. Nick and I were texting. Didn't yeah. Come out Wednesday, but, yeah. I, and that's the thing is election nights. I always feel guilty. Because that's like the night people are like, how are you feeling? It's like I literally get like a, a million text messages on election nights. <laughs> like people asking me, like it's hard to respond I to everything. I assume you prioritized me though, right? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I, t- I did text you back from here. Yeah, you, uh, like almost immediately. I was surprised. Yeah. Because um, I'm like a big numbers guy. I love mm-hmm. the numbers. I love looking through it. And pretty much everything looked really good. I yeah. mean, for early voting, everything looked really good consistently. Um, Fatty's race too. Everything looked really good. Oh my gosh, I was so happy. To yeah, see likewise. That. Um, Congratulations, by the way. Yeah, thank you. To yeah, the... I, I was a field organizer for the campaign. I got hired about a month and a half beforehand. Yeah, um, Nick and I worked on the same campaign, twice. but never got to see like in the second one, never got to see each other really. Yeah, um, but I felt really good on election night, and then the floor results started coming, and that was bad. Um, but as the night started stabilizing, especially particularly as it got later, things looked pretty good again. Um, not as good for Senate for Democrats, um, but again, Democrats end up taking the Senate because of two really good election results in Georgia. Um, but I mean, overall, it was a pretty it, it, it was a pretty mediocre night, all things considered. I had high expectations, um, but Trump has a really good way of, of appealing. And that's the problem too. Trump has this this innate skill that no other GOP politician is able to replicate. Man. Well, not even just that, but I think he has this appeal to these um, a lot of these white voters that don't really vote much. Um, that have never voted in the past. Even my dad, he's voted for Trump. He's never voted. He's never voted in any election before. But this is the first election he voted in because he wanted to vote for Trump. He he's loyal to him. He'll vote for him over anybody else. Um, and there's a lot of voters that, that voted for him that don't vote very regularly. And that was kind of unexpected by some people. Yeah. And that's why it's tough to reach them in polls because they're not regular voters. Um, they're not in a lot of like the you know when you they don't when show you, up in the software. Right. Yeah. When people are canvassing, you know, you don't go to their house because they don't vote ever. You know, and it's tough to kind of anticipate that when you're campaigning sometimes. Um, I mean, overall, it was a solid night for Democrats. I mean, obviously now we have the Senate, House, and presidency, so I'll take it. Um, but a lot of the races we were hoping to win didn't end up coming to fruition. But yeah. all things considered, I mean, it was an okay night. That one in Kentucky. Uh, I mean, that was, that was that was that was a that, you could have read that one off from the start. Like at the but, end of the day, 
that's such a red state. I mean, it's so challenging. It's like Indiana, you know? I mean, even more red than Indiana. But, but there's so much money poured into it. And, yeah. And you feel like at some point you got to realize no amount of money, no amount of ads showing this guy shaking hands with the community is going to challenge Mitch McConnell in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that point was ever reached. I feel like one of the main problems with the Democratic Party right now is that money can be thrown in something and something will be solved. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why it's being seen as the party of the elite at the moment. Because after that night, the main really storyline that I saw out of all the main news outlets was how much money the Democrats wasted that night. How much Democrats the money threw it at this. And it makes it look like money is not a big problem for the Democratic Party. Which, which is I ironic. Think, yeah. Which is ironic because even though Democrats raised record-breaking amounts for Jimmy Harrison and uh, Amy McGrath and Kentucky and all these races, virtually all of the Republicans still raised more money long-term because a lot of them were incumbents and had money in their bank account and have been bankrolled by a lot of these corporations for years because they've been incumbents. And have those consistent uh, like local donors within the community for sure. as well. Yeah. So Democrats, and that was the thing, is the average donation for like Amy McGrath in Kentucky mm-hmm. was I think like $45, right? Whereas for Mitch McConnell, it was like 200 something dollars. Yeah. So that's the comparison there. Yeah. Um, well, they're winning the PR battle. Oh, yeah, for sure. And that's the thing, too, is Republicans have been able – this is, I think, the number one issue that I've realized really recently. I knew that Democrats had an issue in rural areas, but I don't think I realized how bad it is. I mean, Republicans dominate, like, local radio. They dominate, you know, going to the fish fries, volunteering. Yeah. They they make themselves present in rural areas in a way that Democrats have not been able to do recently. And I think part of that is the branding of Democrats, like the party of the elite, you know, the party of the city folk, people like that. And it creates an, an instant sort of tribalism dynamic. Um and that's one thing that I think really surprised me in, on election night is a lot of like rural Democrats who had held on for years lost because there's a solid Trump base who will not vote for any Democrat right now. And it's so rigid, you know. I mean, look at Fatty's race, our opponent, Jen Reckles House. His family's been involved for Republican politics for such a long time. So yeah. you kind of have the flip side of that dynamic there. Very popular in the community, but he lost um, and to what many people consider a shock. Because at the end of the day right now in politics, not many people are willing to split their ticket one way or the other. Yeah. And that's why with the Mitch McConnell's race, when Trump comes down there to campaign for Mitch McConnell, are people going to vote for Amy McGrath? Yeah. It's unlikely. You know, as much, she can, as much as she can, you know, hype up all the issues she wants to, you know, talk about, at the end of the day, loyalty is what matters. And Trump tells people, you know, he tells people all the time, you don't, if you don't vote, you're not loyal to me. If you don't vote for my people, you're not loyal for, to me. You know, these are my people. The other people are attacking me. They're part of the, the, you know, the, the, the Antifa Black Lives Matter mob that's destroying our country. You know, it, like he tells people like that. I mean, look at the ads against Joe Donnelly, our Indiana senator in 2018. A lot of that, it was a lot of he's part of them. He's you know, bowed down to the mob. All these things, right? Yeah. That's the messaging they're going with. That either you're with me or against me. And the Democrats are all against me. That's why a lot of Democrats who held on for years and years and years that are popular, you know, I can name so many people that are, you know, teachers, you know, all these people in their community that are very well known had lost because there's this untapped group of voters that are only willing to vote for Republicans. No exceptions. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you one thing. Credit where credit's due with, with the president. That man can energize. For sure. If he visits an area and he holds a rally, that place is going to be energized for Donald J. Trump for the next couple of months. I don't know what he does. I've obviously never been to one because I I don't think I would – I don't fit in the way that I look and stuff. (laughs) Um, 
and I've never been to one, but for some reason he has that tactic. It's because I think he's been an entertainer for oh yeah the, the majority of his life, kind of the way that Reagan went from acting to to politician status, and yeah. you kind of learn the tools of the trade, and he yeah. can just energize a crowd, mm-hmm. which leads to what we saw. Either his dumb dancing or his... <laughs> it's his rhetoric. He right. uses such in energetic rhetoric. It's a salesman rhetoric. It really yeah. is. And it's it, it's impressive to see how quickly he can mobilize and energize a fan well, base. He's so good at selling himself. Yeah. Like, I mean, he, he's his own product. Yeah. But your interview, the thing is, he's not good at selling himself. I think it's where he's better is attacking other people. And that's okay. the thing that's been consistent with him is he's so good at saying, you know, well, you know, I'm me. You know, I'm loud. I'll tell you how it is, right? But that Joe Biden guy, I mean, he's just a radical, you know, socialist. He's all these things, you know? Mm-hmm. And a lot of people believe that stuff. Um, as untrue as it always is, you know, he is, he's the expert of deflection and being able to literally pin nothing on him. All the issues he has, he's able to just attack, attack, attack other people for the issues they have, you know? I mean, look at 2016. Hillary Clinton was not a very popular person, but think of how much the emails were brought up and compared to the hundreds of scandals Trump had. I mean, just hundreds. There's so many, every day, basically, there's something that would be like a record-breaking a scandal for Obama or Hillary, not even Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton has a little more baggage than Obama did, but um, or Biden. All these people. I mean, it's just unreal how how well he's able to. It's a salesman thing, you yeah. know, of that my product is bad, but oh man, this other guy's product is even worse, you know. And he's just such an expert. He does theatrics. He's a comedian with it. He makes people think it's genuine. I mean, that's the irony of it all. People think he's like this loud mouth talk guy who tells you how it is, you know. Trump never tells it out his. He's a pathological liar who's willing to say anything it, it, he has to to make himself succeed. And he's damn good at that. He is. I will give him credit in that. I don't know who he is as a person, really. I don't know if what he's doing is, a, is an affront, if he believes what he's saying. I think these have been questions for the past five or six years or so. But I'll be damned if he cannot spin a story. But I think the first time that he's faced any real backlash that he couldn't deflect – was January 6th at the at the coup of our Capitol building. That was the first time I saw people like Lindsey Graham, like Mitch McConnell, put the blame on the president. And the first time I've ever seen him make another statement to mm-hmm. bolster a statement he already made. And see, Joey, do you know why the reason for that is? Because people started jumping ship? Because he's leaving office in 14 days. Leaving office. leaving office today. Hey, guys, it's editor Joey. Um, this was, of course, recorded before today. So happy inauguration day. Everybody stay safe. Uh, Editor Joey, out. Kisses. If this happened two years ago, people would have been quiet. They would not have been saying much because I think that if they spoke out, they lose their political career. And a lot of them thought they're banking on Trump, as you said, being the, you know, the, the kingmaster. They were banking on him winning and him from now on swearing their career, you know. He, they, he had the fate of their careers in their hands, and they would have never spoke out yeah. if that were even took place two months ago, three months ago, before the election happened. I totally agree. I mean, I don't think um, the Indiana reps would have changed their vote if it happened, you know, two months ago. Yeah. Versus uh, on January 6th. I mean, can, let's talk about Antifa for a little bit. Yeah. Um, not a real thing. Yeah, it's not really a real thing. We are all anti-fascists. We yeah. should all we should all want to be Antifa, right? Yeah. Well, it's mm-hmm. become the boogeyman. It has. It's such a fake, fake thing. Like Antifa is, guys. Antifa, anti-fascism, 
is an idea. Yeah. It is not a group of people. We should all be anti-fascists because fascism is like the dictatorships of the world, like the communism. Like that's what we don't want in America. So when we when you say anti-fascists are, or Antifa is at a rally, good. They should be. Like yeah. we should we should all be there, right? Yeah. It's talked about like it's such a multi-million <laughs> right. member group. George Soros is funding yeah. it with billions of dollars every year. And, and there's and... a secret meeting every Tuesday. But mm-hmm. that's a great point. We all should be anti-fascist, but it's become a talking point to deflect. Again, as you were saying, it, it, that's a great thing that uh, a thing that Donald Trump's very good at is deflecting. Yeah. And even when the coup was happening and yeah. people were in the Capitol building holding Trump flags, wearing Trump apparel. Co- Confederate flags. Yeah. Confederate flags. People were like, I bet it's Antifa. Right. I mean, what? people, even rational people I know, or I mean, some people that are just really Republicans are saying, well, you know, this is bad, but the Antifa riots, that was even worse, you know? And it's so hard to wrap their minds around the fact that my team has done something bad and the other team is not as bad, you know? Because well, it's all just like my team versus their team, and that's all they can do is blame the other team for, for issues that are coming up. Very true. And I was talking, we, my buddies and I were talking the other day, and it was like, man, it just feels like. Uh, Republicans are getting stereotyped. I was like, man, that sucks. Yeah. Like, yeah. That fucking sucks. I've been stereotyped since I came out of the womb. Like, right. The, the fact that that's so true. That's a good point. Yeah. It's the first time white people feel like they are, they are being, um, stereotyped or even like maybe even degraded. Right. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like that, that whole thing of these, uh, Trumpies, Storming the Capitol, breaking shit, stealing shit, breaking into people's offices, stealing people's mail, logging into their computers. All that is not a show of how Republicans are. Yeah. You know, how the majority of Republicans are in, mm-hmm. in the United States. But that gets shown. So that's what people think. And now that all these Trump supporters or Republicans are getting stereotyped, it sucks <laughs> for them. It sucks for them. And I'm like, dude, I've been feeling that pain yeah. for years. I mean, yes, it sucks, but you've been inflicting that on people that look like me for years. Right. Um, and these protests were really a show that there are two systems of justice in America, one for white people and one for black people. Yeah. Or in case it wasn't obvious already. Yeah. In case it, yeah, in case it wasn't obvious already. We were talking about it before the podcast. Um, there are people of color in jail for selling weed. Yet, people that broke into the Capitol, destroyed shit, stole shit, did much more illegal things are walking free today. And they killed two police officers. Yeah. Capitol yeah. Police, which shows One of them that- died of suicide, but I, which I don't know if it was related, but... Well, yeah, well, I... I but still, I think you can definitely... People have said that that may have been a factor. Like, he was... He, it really weighed heavily on him. But well, if, if, if that's your job to protect the Capitol and you see how easily that people could get in, of course, if you respect your country, of course, that could be a cause of it. Yeah. And it showed that people in the Trump camp, I'm not going to generalize, but the people that stormed the Capitol were not pro-police. They were anti-black. And mm-hmm. it was a more politically safe way of saying, I don't really care for black people if you just say, I back the police or, or blue lives matter. Blue lives don't matter. Blue if lives you, aren't a thing. Yeah, if you beat a police officer to death with a, a fire, fire hydrant, extinguisher. Yeah, yeah it, you, it, you, you, you show that blue lives don't matter. 
at that point. But uh, I also want to point blue lives aren't a thing. Like the fact like mm. they didn't they chose to be police officers. Yeah. You know mm. what I'm saying? Like that was a choice. Right. It's not a choice. I didn't choose to be brown. I didn't choose to be. Did you not? I, I had the <laughs> no, avatar it's screen. Weird. Yeah, <laughs> the yeah. avatar screen when I came out. <laughs> it was like making a me. But yeah, I mean, blue, blue lives. Yes, I, I get it. I I support police officers. I do. I mm-hmm. I understand that their job is important, and it's something that I am probably not fit to do. You know what I'm saying? But right. I, but if I the, the fucked thing is that if I needed if I wanted to go do it, I could with very limited training. Right. You know, I could become a police officer in a, in a month mm-hmm. and not really know what uh, the ins and outs are of the law. You know what yeah, I'm saying? I mean, there's like, like double as much training to be a hairdresser as there is to be a police officer. Yeah. You know, that's, that, that's just there's I mean, there's a million examples you can point to. You can look at all the majors at you know school and think of like, is this really do we really need 10 times as much training for this as we do for a police officer? And it should be the opposite. It should be yeah. do we need 10 times as little for a police officer as these other things? Because. Really, it's it's the lack of that. That's so it, it's so just shocking to think about. You know, all the conflict resolution and training, and it kind of varies where you are. Indiana is not very um, mm-hmm. forward on that. There's other states where it is better, um, but it, it's just it, it, it's shocking when you think about all the 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 issues in our criminal justice system just overall. And it's something that highlights a lot of issues in politics too, in terms of just how people are treated with different groups and how. It's emphasized, like we mentioned it before, if Black Lives Matter had rioted into the Capitol, beat a police officer with a fire hydrant, you know. They, they wouldn't even get to the Capitol in the first well, place, yeah, man. I know. They would have been shot yeah. down, mowed down. The interesting thing to me is I think a story came out recently how the National Guard had offered to come in to bolster yep. and the Capitol Police Department refused. Mm-hmm. I don't understand the thought Pence had us in the men. Trump wouldn't send the men either. Yeah. And and Pence was out immediately. That was my favorite, not my favorite part, but something interesting was right. that Pence was already gone by the time anyone had Do you think Pence in. already, I mean, this was, this wasn't a private, He had like, to be prepared. This wasn't yeah. a private composition. Like, this was very, like, this was on Twitter. Oh, yeah. Trump told his followers to storm the Capitol on the And if you looked in parlor, I mean, a lot of bigger Republican accounts were saying, I mean, that morning, speaking of the devil, Rudy Giuliani said, <laughs> fight this, like, I fear what he said, but fight it with, like, uh, he said something that was very, I don't, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but he said that was very, like, blatantly trying to, like, yeah, stir people up to actually, like, using physical violence to do something about this, you know? I mean, it was no secret. I If they were planning on, if there was any Antifa or Black Lives Matter protesters, quote-unquote, that were there, they were going to beat them, you know? Yeah. I, and, and, and it was not hard to find. I mean, anyone could have gone on Parler and found these accounts that were telling people we're going to storm the Capitol, we're going to do all these things. Um, it was not like it was some secret, you know, dark web conspiracy that happened. It was out in the open. Yes. And if you guys can't see me, uh, see me I'm like shaking my head. I don't think that it's possible very, for very, very vigorously. Yeah. Hey, we'll get video soon, though. Today we. Yeah. Uh, we'll uh, figure that out. But uh, I will say this about Rudy Giuliani. God damn, he has some thick skin. Because mm-hmm. he went through the Borat thing, and then almost immediately afterwards, they reserved the Four Seasons lawn care yeah. place, and he just went up and pretended like that's what he meant to do. And then he had the the sweat going down with oh, his uh, and hair, and I feel bad for Rudy. I think he's going. I, I think don't. he's going. I feel through, bad for him. He's, 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 com- he's, he's like one of the top right complicit people in the the in, 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 in the attempt to no, kill. I mean, no, no, I don't feel bad for him in that way. I feel mm. bad for him in the fact that he gets he, dogpiled on yeah, a lot. He just gets best shit mayor on. NYC baby. He, he but like after nine eleven. Like he, yeah, he brought New York like together. Like I, yeah. I lived in New York at the time. Oh really? Yeah, my I was born there. My mom 
we were in New York when 9-11 happened. I didn't know that. Um, so my mom saw Rudy Giuliani and, you know, a young Mayor Bloomberg, you know, bringing NYC back together from its shambles. Mm-hmm. And the fact t- to see what Rudy Giuliani was in 2001, 2002 to what he is now in 2020, it's it's, it's, it's like he's flipped. It's it, it's he's exactly what the Republican Party has transformed into. Yeah. Rudy Giuliani's progression is the exact progression of the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. He was America's mayor, the most popular politician in America. As hard as that is to imagine now. He was yeah. um, he was so good. He was. And then uh, now he just gets shit on on Twitter twenty four seven, which I don't I don't feel bad for, but I I do feel bad seeing what he was now that that's put into perspective. But if I had organized a press conference at the Four Seasons and I showed up to a lawn care place, I wouldn't show my face for the next two and a half years. Yeah. <laughs> and props to him for continuing to be on the face of the planet. There's my one cough for the podcast. There's your one cough. Mm-hmm. Um, so props to him for that, but yeah, not for a whole lot else right um, now. So I've been getting a lot of questions about the Electoral College. Yeah. Um, I kind of explained it on the podcast as the Electoral College is the CEO of our democracy, right? When when it comes to electing, they're like the CEO. They make the they truly make the decision. But I think I think my explanation might have been kind of, you know, a bad metaphor. So <laughs> if 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 you would like to explain uh the electoral college in a better way, uh could you please do that? <laughs> hmm. Well, the electoral college, I mean it, it it didn't come into relevance this time. There wasn't really any issues there. Um, but the Electoral College, I mean, it's pretty simple in theory. In, in a simple way, it's basically just every state gets a vote, and whoever they vote for, you know, whoever basically the majority of the population of states vote for wins the election, right? It, it's kind of, to me, I'm, I'm like, that's like the issue I'm probably most passionate about that might surprise people is I am incredibly passionate about, like, election reform. Um, and the Electoral College is probably the the most, one of the most clear examples of just an incredibly outdated system. Um, it's kind of hard to understand. It made more sense when we had 13 evenly populated states. But right now, it's just, it, it's so outdated. And the in- original intent of the Electoral College was to um, make it so that way, if the people voted for somebody, the, 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 the founding fathers did not have confidence in them to make the right decisions. So they said, okay, we'll have like kind of veto uh, ability. And if we don't like the person that they choose, then we can basically pick our own person. Um, and they did it through this elector system, which now is just a complete joke. I mean, all the electors that are picked <coughs> are basically party loyalists. Mm-hmm. Loyalists. It's all people that work for the party in one way or the other. So they're not going to vote against the person they wanted to. So basically the entire original intent of the, the electoral college is gone. Now people use it for this rural state kind of demonization against blue areas say hey if you know if the electoral college is gone california is going to pick our president new york is going to but at the end of the day that's where the people are you know and right now with our current system the electoral college doesn't even help rural areas all does help swing states you know nobody's campaigning in north dakota and wyoming and montana that are small red states or even indiana even indiana yeah they're campaigning in michigan (coughs) and wisconsin and pennsylvania and the states that are competitive. That's all it comes down to is the com- competition of states. So for people to kind of use it as kind of um, an anti kind of um, city thing mentality, I mean, it makes sense why they're doing it, but it's just a scapegoat for all the other issues that have um, come out. And I think people really must understand what the purpose of it was yeah. and why it's, I think it's, it's an in, 
it's definitely a very, very flawed system. And I think it's one that doesn't really reap the benefit it sows. You know, like if you live in California, I know people in Indiana think this. They say, why do I vote for, why do I even vote? Like Indiana is yeah. not competitive, you know? Imagine how much more exciting our, our, our campaigns would be and how much more, how much more, um, I don't even know how to say it. How much more broad would they be if they campaigned to every state, you know? They campaign in Indianapolis. They campaign in North Dakota. They reach out to every single voter in the country instead of micro-targeting on these yeah. five or so states that are just being overwhelmed by everything, you know? And the argument that has become a swing state because you get targeted. But at the end of the day, most voters don't think about it like that. And it made more sense when there was like, you know, 10,000 people in a colony, right? Yeah. Whereas now, I mean, there's 50 million people in Texas that don't feel like their vote matters. There's... 50 people in California that don't think their vote matters. There's people in North Dakota that don't vote for the same reason. Like, this is not a red or blue state thing or a big state, small state thing. It's a competitive versus non-competitive state thing. And the states that are not competitive become completely written off. I mean, when have you ever seen Trump campaigning in South Dakota? Never, because he doesn't have to. Yeah, because it's not competitive, you know? When have you seen him campaigning in California? Never, never has. And that's the reality of it is, is that all it basically is is just the system so that way – Focuses people to focus on a few states because right now there's only a few states that are really competitive, all things considered. Yeah, you're looking at what Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Florida? Yeah, Florida, maybe a little bit, Arizona, Georgia. Um, that's basically it. There's really not many other states you can list. And that's the problem is yeah. like the forest fires in California are a perfect example. If those forest fires happened in Michigan, oh my gosh, we would be sending the National Guard there. We, Trump would be there every day. Biden would be there every day helping with the forest fires. It would be just nonstop, right? Because it's California. Trump never showed up there. There's no there's no emphasis on it, you know? And it was the same thing if it happened in South Dakota. Yeah. There would be no issue about it if it happened there because Trump had no reason to care about it if it happened there for his electoral purposes. And that's the issue with it is campaigns can completely write off 90% of states, which is not the way our democracy should function. I get that they have representation in other ways, like the Senate and the House and things, but at the end of the day, the president is such an important part. People will be discouraged from, from voting for everything because they don't feel like their vote for president matters. That's the problem. Yeah, and do you think that trickles over into local elections? Do you think that creates a lethargy in the voting process there too? For sure. I mean, there's people that don't, I mean, they're not voting for local stuff. They're not voting for anything if they're not voting. Um, and I think it also sort of gets in this mentality that, um, they don't think their vote matters for anything. Um, and they think the elect- a lot of people I know at the electoral college, they think it's just like this undemocratic process that just, you know, kind of screws them of their voice. Yeah. And again, they're not going to vote for local elections. They think that it's discouraging for the entire process. And people's skepticism of democracy, I think, has really taken hold in a lot of other ways, too. I mean, obviously, the coup that was pretty much blatantly like people think that it's anti-democracy. I mean, people have a lot of skepticism towards American politics and um, and the way that our system works. And they think that it's it's not just and that their vote doesn't matter in all these things. And the Electoral College only amplifies that by making it, you know, by making it, you know, my state. Because people, again, Indiana, I mean, you guys probably know a bunch of people that say, you know, Indiana's so red, who really cares, you know? I said that after I voted. Yeah. I, I still voted, but it's like I, I knew I was just a drop in the bucket. And but so, it, Joey, if you weren't so motivated, you would have been even less, you, you would have not yeah. even gone to vote if you felt that, you yeah. know? But I just, I knew it was important to vote. But I didn't know why it was important for me to vote in the state. I knew that I have to vote because it's right. my civic duty. Yeah. But I still didn't leave there feeling like, oh, man, my voice was heard today. Right. And not everyone has that civic duty problem is, the, is, is part of the issue of yeah. it, you know. But uh, I, I can understand why. Because yeah. it, was, it was like I went to the polling station. I was excited to vote because it was my first time voting in a presidential election. Yeah. But it was still like, cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pressed a couple of buttons. And uh, I might as well have just been in an arcade. 
mm-hmm. and walked out. I think I felt I would have had the same impact. Mm-hmm. Um, we when we were canvassing in 2018, I think we kind of saw that with Democratic voters, the fact that they didn't want to vote because they felt like their vote didn't matter in mm-hmm. Indiana, right? That's particularly I think relevant with people that are younger um and to I think are minority voters because it's kind of the messaging that is brought up a lot. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing that people I think kind of forget about now is because of how specific the targeting is on social media. Those things are said. I mean, Rudy, I think it was Rudy Giuliani. Um, I don't remember who it was, but there's been messaging that's sent to like, you know, black communities in Ohio and all these states that have said like, hey, there's issues with your vote. Like, don't worry about it. Like, there's direct targeting towards those communities discourage them from voting and this is a frequent problem you know the further disenfranchisement yeah i mean look at marion county in marion county we had i think four or five early voting sites and there's up to nine hour lines for early voting that is freaking ridiculous that is voter suppression to the max yeah let i think in hamilton county there were what There's no, there's like seven early voting sites and there was no lines ever. And it's only, I mean, like Hendricks County, which is even smaller than Hamilton County is, and like Boone County, they had like double as many sites as Marion County. I mean, it's just so egregious. And, and it was because the Republicans on the election board refused to sign off for more election sites. Um, I mean, there's a million dynamics to it, but at the end of the day, voter suppression is real. It's harder to vote if you're part of these communities. Um, and there's no better example of it than 2020 and how long our democracy still has to go in terms of voting rights. In, ensuring that everybody has not just the, the right to vote because that's that's everybody has a right to vote pretty much right but the same right to vote and that's the problem is there's people that have a lot easier time voting than other people do yeah well it took me 20 minutes i mean i i it, 20 minutes might even be way too much i was in and out yeah. yeah and i remember in the primary season i had just voted the morning and i was working i was driving around um downtown indy and I, I think I it took me 30 seconds to vote in the primary, and I was it, this was just the primary, and I was just driving around, and someone stopped me, and we were talking and chatting, and she was like, yeah, today, you know, I voted, um, and I was in line for like four hours, but, you know, it's an election. Right, yeah. And I was like, how? You know, on election day, yeah, the lines on during the primary were about four hours consistently. Yeah. and that's just a primary, so yep. I can only imagine, and you said it was extremely long it was up to nine hours during this uh you, this what polling location were you and fatty at uh we were at st luke's most of the time which is about 86th and meridian yeah um and again there's only five in indianapolis you know there's entire townships that didn't have a single s- s- voting site um so a lot of people were packed into a few different uh, and the amount of high sites. schools in marion county is insane like, oh yeah i the, mean the amount of high schools they, they could have found transform. them i mean th- at the end of the day um i mean i i was i worked at the election board during the spring and I can attest to the fact that it's it's really important. People there do a good job. There's people there that are assigned by a specific polit- political party who do not let more sites get opened because they know it's bad for their party, you yeah. know? Because in Indiana, this is passed by the state. So this is their idea. In Indiana, in order to impr- approve more early vote sites, it has to be passed unanimously by the election board. No. And all election boards in Indiana are one Democrat, one Republican, and a county clerk. So it doesn't matter where the county is in Indiana – the Republicans can always say we're not going to open up more early voting sites, which is not the case in Hamilton County, or not even Hamilton County anymore because Hamilton County is really 50-50, but like Hendricks County or more Republican counties, right? They can open up as many as they want, but in Marion County they're going to say, you know what, we're going to leave you guys with three or four or five, you know? Yeah. And didn't Lucas Oil offer, offer to open up? Yep, they ended up opening up Lucas Oil because of how high the demand was yeah. and this insane pressure to open up more just because of how ridiculous the lines were. I mean, nine hours... That's like third world country things, yeah. you know? 
and also we're in the middle of a bit of a, a yeah a global <laughs> pandemic. Right. And it was chilly outside. And yeah, it I mean, was that's, chilly. And that's another thing you can even yeah. mention. Yeah, raining all the time too. Yeah. I mean. Our, our governor did not allow – we were one of, I think, three states that did not allow universal uh, absentee voting, which yeah. is ridiculous. I mean, there's no reason why, if we're in a global pandemic, you should not be able to vote by absentee if you want to. And it's an easy thing to do, really, at the end of the day. It, uh, yeah, it's, and the fact that they make the form so hard to fill out, right? Mm-hmm. Why can't – there has to be. We're in, like There has to be a, a better way for them to be able to, like – do these mail-in ballots right like the, the sh- i'm talking about like the actual sheet that you have to fill out for it yeah uh people mess it up all the time yeah. well that's part of the game is they is they mess it up and then they'll say oh you know these are illegal ballots these are you know f- fraud whatever i mean trump that's the irony of it all trump is talking about voter fraud but when they go to court they don't really have any substantial evidence other than here's 50 votes where they their, their signature was a little bit off or here's 50 votes where they put the wrong middle name initial things like that where it's just like very subtle things right that isn't really voter fraud, but it's a lot of confusion within, like the signature things or like the putting things in the wrong sp- spaces. A lot of that is just confusion with the process, you know. Yeah. I mean, the whole middle name thing like that happened like once or twice. You know, it's not really a big deal. People might have multiple middle names. Too. Like, there's a million reasons why these things can happen, and they use it as just like this big voter fraud conspiracy. But again, I've worked in the election process. I've been the one. I ran one of the sites. Okay, it would be so hard to commit voter fraud, like on a widespread scale especially, like you'd have to know the person intimately to do it, you know? Like maybe, Renvier, maybe if you had a mom or dad, you know, your mom or dad, you could go vote for them maybe, like not your mom, but like maybe your dad, you could maybe try to do something like that. you get caught probably half the time, right? Mm-hmm. But is that worth it for one vote, you know? Like at the end of the day, all the steps you'd have to take to commit election fraud are so, so hard to do. There's so many barriers in place to stop it. And the whole, the whole skepticism on the whole process because of, these weird, like, minor questions about specific ballots because I felt confusing to make the process is such as, like, a again, it's a deflection off of everything else. It's a way to make it so they don't have to accept the fact they lost the election. It's a it's, literacy test, basically. Yeah. Oftentimes yeah. it is. And it's a poll tax, too. I mean, you're not going to be able to, if you're a working person having kids, how are you going to wait in line for nine hours to vote? You can't. Yeah. And there's no reason it shouldn't be a national holiday. There's I agree. There's no reason that work, there's no reason people should have to work on election day. Mm-hmm. But that's been an issue for a while because the people that have the ability to take off work are probably going to vote one specific way. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's other states, Republican states. Look at Utah. Look at – I mean, Arizona is not as Republican anymore. But there's Republican states that were passed by Republicans where they have universal mail voting. Everybody votes by mail, which makes it – you don't have to wait line. They even send you a little brochure, which is not brochure, but like a little – uh, like packet, which has information about every candidate, a little paragraph about each of them. You can learn more about them. You can go to their website. That's really useful for people. You know, mm-hmm. imagine if with all the million things on your ballot, all these judges and everything, right? Imagine if you had a packet that could tell you about every person on your ballot. You know, you could read more about them, and they're not going to put blatantly false things on there either. Like it's all verified, true. All these things, right? That is so much an easier process than waiting in line for nine hours to vote. Then you know. You can research all the people at home. You can look at your ballot, see what's on there, you know. And it's there's never been any voter fraud cases in Utah. I mean, that's a, that's one of the most Republican states in the country too. This is not like a Democratic haven where this is happening, right? Like Utah voted for Trump, even though they've universal mail voting. And there's a million examples you can point to about it, um, the, the effectiveness of these things. And political scientists are pretty much overwhelming in this. This is the best way of doing it, but it's hard to change. People are very skeptical of the process, and it's because of intentional misinformation from our president and other people who realize it's their best interest to cast doubt on this mail vote, which is overwhelmingly democratic at this point. Yeah. And, and that makes it tough 
for people that wanted to do vote by mail, even if they were on the Republican side, to even venture out and try it because they felt like their vote would probably be tossed away, right? As yeah, he said, um, which is difficult. Do you think that we could? I mean, is it is vote by mail even viable now after the misinformation that was really spread about it? Or is it set us back like 10, 20 years? I mean, it set us back. But at the end of the day, I think it's it's still something to push forward on, especially yeah. when we're in a pandemic. Well, yeah. And that's the reality of it is the only reason they're focusing on it this year is because it's been highlighted a lot more. A lot more people are doing it, and they're taking advantage of the fact that people are doing that and by casting doubt on the whole process. Um, I would hope there's some forward progress towards it. I mean, I don't think it's the end-all, be-all by any means. Like Things are fine right now generally. I, I just hope that we have – more of an easy process to vote, and that it's more equal. You know, that every person has the same right to vote. Because that's the issue. Again, it, it's a poll tax. People are not able to wait in line for nine hours, and that's not the case in other counties, you know. And that, that, that's, I mean, it's, it's blatant voter suppression at the end of the day. Well, it's, voter suppression has evolved and mm-hmm. become much more subtle mm-hmm. in the way that it, because in the, in the old days when black people, people of color, and women would vote, yeah. you would have mobs there, that would pull them out and do yeah. terrible things to them. And the literary tests and everything. And, and all these ways to stop people from having a voice were so overt. Mm-hmm. But now it's evolving with the times and becoming much more subtle, which mm-hmm. is harder to fight, I feel It like. is. Because the problem is a lot of people say, you know, I voted easily. Why can't they just vote easily, you know? Like, it's not that big of a deal. Because they don't see all the barriers in place for other people to yeah, vote. And that's the, the issue with anything in the world, really. It's people are unable to see other people's perspectives. And they see everything through, through their world and their worldview and their family's worldview. Instead of looking at the big picture and looking at what other people face and why these barriers are in place that have been in place for so long for other people, yeah. particularly black people and other people of color. It's like uh, before the saying, before you are able to you know, talk about someone else's life, you got to walk a mile in their shoes. Yeah, and, and see all the barriers that people have had with voter suppression all these things, you know. And look at the, the the tougher enforcements for black people in terms of voting. I mean, it's not just like a coincidence it's happening in black areas. You know, look at the Trump campaign. They don't highlight Madison, Wisconsin, which is a really white college town, right? They don't highlight, you know, Pittsburgh. They highlight Pencil- or Philadelphia. They mm-hmm. highlight Detroit. They highlight Milwaukee because those are the black areas, and they're the easiest to, de- to demonize, you know? Well, it, it, I think it goes back to the siloing system where you're just stuck shouting to yourself and you're stuck with all these perspectives that are your perspectives in the same area. And let's say I have a silo in Seattle, and every mm-hmm. day it's raining. And I'm like, my, my crops are doing fantastic. Well, I'm not looking south in California and seeing a drought. Right. Like, you are where you are, mm-hmm. and it's almost impossible to see that other area. Mm-hmm. Which And that's not just politics. That's everything in the world, as you yeah. mentioned. You know, like, that's everything in the world's affected by that. But there's probably no world that's more affected by politics, you know? People, well, people, people like people focus on what they have affecting their life. It's not what other people have affecting their lives. It's has Trump made my life better or worse? You know, it's not has he made our world more unified? Has he made our country more unified? Has he helped improve our country? It's has he made my life better? Yeah. And that's the mentality a lot of people bring into politics. And I get it. That's that's a pretty natural thing. You know, it gets, it's the competition of it all. It's, has he helped me? But it's also not a very a productive way of helping our country at all. You know, that's how people, that's what we get into these, these problems, is he's able to appeal to these people by just giving them what they want, and then he's able to completely just take over everything else because they're they're they're, they're willing to accept his flaws if, the, if he can help them. Mm-hmm. Not help, but, like, help them by dis- disenfranchising other people yeah. and disadvantaging them. Not hurt them, I guess. Right. In, in an overt way, even though I think the degradation of empathy and 
the way that we see other people. It does hurt all people. It does, but people aren't really aware of those subtle no. things that impact it. And a lot of people think, well, you know, everyone else is out to get each other. Like, I, you know, we should have somebody who helps me. You know, they think yeah. they have this cynical mindset of, um, well, he's going to drain the swamp. Right. Yeah. Which I mean, the swamp did get drained as. <laughs> What is it? Thirteen members as of now. The White House staff have jumped the ship. Yeah, the swamp's leaving. Yeah, but it's not in the way that I think anyone wanted it to. Well, I'm okay with it now. But well, Betsy DeVos being the first one or one of the first ones that was weird to me. Yeah. Good, finally. Well, I was like, I want to see how our Secretary of Education weighs in on the attempted insurrection. Yeah. That was immediately <laughs> what I thought. I was like, I want to see what this lady thinks. Right. <laughs> But it, it is very much an issue that I think boils down to empathy. We talked about that in one of our first episodes. That was the, the first episode. The first episode. Um, how empathy has become a rare commodity. Yeah. That is not enforced, practiced, really put in the, the forethought of most people. Because, and I understand it a little bit, because especially now in the pandemic, you want to protect yourself and you want to protect your family. Mm-hmm. You are not thinking about Joe down the street. Mm-hmm. You are thinking about what's going on here, what affects us, what doesn't affect us, what would help us, what wouldn't help us. I think it's only making siloing that much more of a strict way of thinking. For sure. Which I don't I know mean, if it's going to fade. Empathy is universal. It's one of the most necessary things we really need. And that's how, I mean, in a global pandemic, you'd assume empathy would be higher than ever. But not, not usually as I mean, people like politicians don't never let a good tragedy go to waste. You know, people use whatever they can to divide people and dividing and conquering works a lot better than empathy does, you know? Yeah. Again, I, I, I kinda went back on it I said it before, but dividing people up and being negative and attacking people is one of the most effective ways politicians get their way. Yeah. One of the most. And almost everybody does it one way or the other. I mean think of any group in politics, they always have an issue they blame their problems on, you know? That's how it works. You know, you taking responsibility for your own actions and taking responsibility for those things is a lot harder than just blaming it on somebody else who did something, you know, and it, it, it's so challenging to get people out of that mindset, you know, and whatever group you're wanting to pin it on, not every person in that group is applicable, you know, like Republicans want to blame their problems on Black Lives Matter, but 99% of Black Lives Matter protesters are doing it for the right yeah. reasons, like really just wanting racial justice, which they're unaware to see, um, you know, if they want to blame their problems on immigrants, right, like, 99% of immigrants are phenomenal people, the most hardworking people you meet in your entire lives, even like Democrats, right? Democrats want to blame, I mean, I, this is, I think, more valid, but blame the problems on, you know, police, rich people, whatever. But most people in those groups, I would say, are good people. A lot of them are complicit, but most of them are good people at the end of the day, you know? Yeah. And that's why I think it's hard for people to compartmentalize, is they think of police officers as all-encompassing group. And whereas Republicans, they look at, you know, my uncle's a police officer, you know, he's a phenomenal guy. That's seeing maybe the system that he protects or maybe the things he does because they think of him in a very positive light. And that's why it's so hard for people to overlook these things because the Democrats look at the police officers and think of all the things that they've done wrong right? as a collective group. And there's a million reasons why people like to broad use all these like terms to you know represent an entire group of people. And I'm not saying it's valid or not valid sometimes, um, but I think people need to generalize less and, and view people more as individuals within the processes, you know? Yeah. And, I mean, there's obviously a lot of criminal justice impact to that. You know, the fact that police officers um, are not sued by themselves, they're sued by the entire department, the qualified immunity. Um, like there's there, there's a lot of layers to this in terms of how this can be impacted in the world. You know, people, I mean, it'd be a lot more productive if, if Trump, instead of saying, 
Black Lives Matter riders, whatever. He's single out single people, you know. Yeah. As tough as that might be for them, it'd be tough. To, it'd be better in general for anything in the world to single out people with bad behavior instead of singling out or instead of broad stroking an entire group into this big category that not everyone even gets close to applying to. Well, I think there's been an increase since 2012 um, of thinking the other side is evil. Yeah. Right? Um, well, like when it, Joe Donnelly reached across the aisle when it came to Obamacare, and that was seen as something so monumental and such a big deal. But at the end of the day, like that is something that our politicians should be doing. Right. Like, reaching across the aisle shouldn't be something that's so celebrated. There shouldn't be an aisle. There yeah. shouldn't be two parties. I understand that there's different ideologies, but there shouldn't be two parties. There should be a multitude of parties where you have the value that most represents you and your community. But obviously, that's never going to happen. I, I would love to think it would. Yeah, well, the problem is our system is so – I mean, our system in American politics, the Electoral College and everything, inevitably will create two parties. I mean, yeah. that's just how it is. If we want to change our system, like be like candidate or the UK, we have to make it more – um, representative um, government where, you know, it's not winner-take-all because winner-take-all always and anything in the world always takes two par- two two groups, you yeah, know? Yeah, because if you add a third, it's going to take from one of the two ruling yep. groups. And then they get discouraged from voting and then, you know, it's it's incredibly tough. Um, and reaching across the aisle, I mean, that's just such a an intrinsic thing to politics, you know? And that's what's so issue now. is things are so divided that if you reach across the aisle, you're viewed as a traitor. That's what I'm saying. And I like- get it. I get it in some ways because, like, if a Democrat did it to Republicans, like I, I, I get kind of depends on what the issue is, but I get kind of upset about it sometimes. Um, but I think I think part of it is you have to go in with the mentality of being able to, but not just like doing it for the right reasons. You know, don't reach across the aisle just to reach across the aisle, but reach across the aisle if you think it's an important issue to work on. I, I, that's I'm sure universal sentiment. So I'm not, you know, I'm sure I'm preaching the choir right here. Yeah. Um, but I think people like to think of it as um, betraying your cause if they even consider doing it. When that's just such a toxic mentality to have in anything. Politics has gotten so toxic as a whole. I mean, I'm not even talking like Trump era. I'm, I think like 2012 is when it really, the the left and the right started really pointing fingers yeah. at each other. I mean, a lot of it came with a Tea Party, you know. Yeah. We're not going to do anything with Obama. We refuse to negotiate. We're not going to let him pass anything. We're not going to give him his judges, anything like that, but, you know. Yeah. And, I mean, all of it dates back to, I mean, Newt Gingrich during the 90s against Bill Clinton. Like, there's so many examples you can point to. Um, Unfortunately, it just, it's gotten worse and worse and worse. Now we're at the point where, as kind of cliche as it is, Trump is not the the cause of it. He is the symptom. He is the the result of these people telling them that, you know, we need a fighter in there who's going to fight for us because these Democrats are running this country. And it's really not a Democrat or Republican issue completely. Um, There's people on both sides that are responsible for this and the complete, you know, hyper-radicalization that's been happening recently. I think especially on social media, there's a lot of bad actors who try to get people radicalized in one way or the other because they want to start a movement or something. Well, they um, want to be the forefront of the movement. Right, right? exactly, yeah. They, they want to be the one that's leading the charge. Yeah. Um, and that's how, I mean, social media is just such a, uh, just a perfect example of how bubbles and, you know, all these groups can just tear at... Um, tear at kind of the fabrics of unity because they're always able to demonize and you just go push further and further and further in this ideology until you're at the point where you can't even see other people's perspectives because everyone you're following on Twitter is this radical ideology and it happens left and right with thousand percent because it's so hard to get out of that, that mindset once you're in it unfortunately well everyone wants to lead I feel yeah. like deep down we all think we have the right to lead and 
before social media, the only real way that you could do that is you go to law school, you get your degree. Yeah, the traditional path, yeah. Yeah, the traditional path. Now you can get a massive following and be an ideological leader, a thought provoker. Yeah, by getting a Twitter account. Getting a Twitter account and freaking dunking on those libtards. Like, that's what it's become. It's become now a competition to see who can get the most followers. Right. And you don't need a law degree to start a Twitter. Hey, guys, breaking news. uh, House Democrats have now introduced their resolution to impeach Trump, charging him with incitement of insurrection. And that broke just now. Just now, four minutes ago. Yeah, I don't have that. I mean, it'll definitely pass the House, but we'll see if it passes the Senate. I think they'll get a few votes in the Senate from Republicans, but it'll still be probably Democrats will get the or not Democrats, but the impeachment will get probably a majority, but not enough to pass because you have to get two thirds. So, is, oh, I didn't even yeah, yeah, two thirds. So if uh, so, speaking of the Senate, uh, we had two Georgia in Georgia. There were yeah. two runoffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about those because those were pretty charged. Oh uh, yeah, that's first of all. Let's start with this. What is a runoff? So in the South, traditionally, and this was a, this was a very another blatant way of suppressing black voters because this only happens in the South. Um, they have after the first election, if no candidate gets fifty percent, they go to a runoff because in Georgia, um, the Republican for the Republicans for Senate got um, like David Perdue, who's the incumbent, who was the incumbent Republican Georgia senator, he had like forty nine point eight percent. So traditionally, that means you go to a runoff, where it's another round of voting, basically. And typically, there's a lot more low turnout. Typically, Republicans win those because it's a lot more low turnout, and their base, you know, the older white consistent voters, typically vote in those elections. Um, and it, it's been done in the past against. It, it's a method of suppressing voters by making another election another hurdle. And there's really no reason why you shouldn't just vote, give a, give the election to whoever wins the most votes because that's, that's what it is in every other race, every other race for president, senate, house, any other state. But in Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, that's where they've been done. It. That's how they've done it for so long. Um, so basically, that's the runoff. And there's two Republican incumbent senators. There's David Perdue, who's been a senator since I think, I think 2014, who had the regularly timed election. Perdue never wins. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then Kelly Loeffler, who was appointed. Um, and actually, David Perdue, his family owns Dollar Go General. And then uh, Kelly Loeffler, um, who was appointed senator, I think back in January, last January, um, who's whose family is also like one of the wealthiest in the country. She owns like a bunch of WNBA teams, things like that. Yeah. Um, well, I thought that was a weird, equitable sort of thing. And, and her players spoke out against it. They campaigned against her because they were really upset with how she handled things. But the two of them ran very, very Trumpian campaigns. I mean, they were throwing conspiracy theories out about male voting. They were you know, doing all the rhetoric that the Republicans always do. And there's a guy, John Ossoff, who's a young guy. A dreamboat. Um, yeah. Come like, on. Like a Kennedy kind of guy? Yeah, yeah. For sure, yeah. He's a cutie. Yeah, he's yeah. a handsome young lad. Handsome um, young lad or a cutie. Yeah. <laughs> you're yeah. To say. Um, he, he, the ladies love him. Um, I love him. Yeah, he's a good guy. I like him a lot, too. He ran against David Perdue. He ran a very like, inspirational, hope-driven campaign. They got Raphael Warnock, who's a black pastor. He He's the pastor at MLK's old church. Um, he ran against Kelly Loeffler, and the two of them ran a really good campaign together. I mean, nobody expected that they would win. I mean, by the end, it became a little bit closer, but... Democrats, I mean, especially black voters, really just outvoted Republicans. And that was a problem is Republicans have had this internal war in Georgia. You know, the, the Georgia governor's Republican and the secretary of state were Trump's closest allies in the state, but they would not hand Trump the win by, you know, rigging the election for him, basically. So Trump committed, committed war against them pretty much and has been scorched earth campaigning against them. Um, and they lost because I think the turnout was not in place. And well, Trump told his voters, or Trump told his base, not to not to vote in this runoff. Well, he? I mean, he did, but he the problem is it was indirect. You know, like he told them to vote, but the problem is he also told told them that it was rigged, 
and that it wasn't going to be fair, and why are you going to vote in a, a rigged election anyways? You know, so yeah. it did not it did not very help him much because it made things really the enthusiasm really low, and I think it only riled up Democrats more to vote. And I mean, Democrats, there's some counties in Georgia where 96 percent, like the black counties in Georgia, where 96 percent of the voters who voted in November voted again this time, which is unheard of. Because typically it's like half voters vote yeah. in the runoff because it's a lot more low turnout. Usually the races aren't as well publicized because everyone's vote for president, right? But for these lo- these local races, not as well hyped up, right? But 96% of voters voted in some counties that voted in November, which is unreal and unheard of. I mean, the turnout was higher for this election, for the runoffs, than it was for the 2016 presidential race. Wow. And what's helpful for Democrats is that it was the Democrats that pretty much all voted and all the Republicans stayed home, which gave enough votes for to happen. I mean, these are not the other thing too. Is I know people may, maybe some people are skeptical. They'll say, "Oh, it's rigged, blah blah." blah. But the voters that I mean, th- there's there's no way of doing it. You know, like a lot of the voters that turned out high were a lot of the rural, black, southern uh, voters that are not like these big counties that people always think are the ones that are rigged. It's a lot of it was a lot of the the religious voters who known Raphael Warnock, a pastor for a while, reverend. Um, he was the reverend at their church. Um, and they respected him a lot, Pretty and they wouldn't vote for him. Reverend as well, like yeah, people, he was very well respected. Oh yeah, I mean, he had, he's the pastor, or Reverend at MLK's old church. Yeah. You know, this is not some random church in Georgia that he, yeah. they're pulling him from. Like he's very well known, credible speaker, obviously. Yeah, venerated ground that he's working at. Right. Yeah. So this guy is very well known and was really able to turn that group out. Um, or the Republicans just couldn't do. It. And I think part of it was the lack of a cohesive message. You know, they, they had this mixed messaging where you know. The Republicans are to blame, you know, the Georgia governors to blame, the Georgia Secretary of State's to blame, but also to vote for the Democrats, you know. Yeah. But it wasn't really like the kind of messaging you want to go into an election when you're not unified at all. You're so divided. You've created enemies out of people you need to be allies with. I mean, it was tough to to sell for them. That phone call with Trump and the Secretary of State and uh, the, was, who else was in it? Uh, Ryan Germany. Yeah. Yeah. The, I think he was, was the attorney or something. Yeah, it was attorney. very, very uh, – chilling right. to see how Trump was kind of trying to convince him to give him these votes mm-hmm. and he was like the, the the margin of error is just happens to be yeah the, one vote more one vote more than what I need to win and I mean like the fact that Trump is doing like how many times has he done that we don't right. know you know what I'm saying yeah this it's scary I mean, I mean, that's what he did. That's exactly what he did to the people to call them to tell them not certify the election. He called all the House representative Republicans that he's been loyal to and says, you know, if you're not loyal to me, it'll be tough for your career like he did to that George. He tries to threaten them. He tries to, 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 to hardball them into forcing them to do what he wants. And thankfully, the George Secretary of State has a little bit of, uh, of honor and integrity that he wouldn't do something like that. Because Trump essentially just wanted him to add votes and tell them, oh, we found these votes just randomly, which is there's no proof of all things Trump was saying were completely debunked. He said they were shredding Trump ballots in Georgia, which is just completely like there's no evidence of it whatsoever. But unless you're in a parlor or something and looking at these conspiracy theories, yeah. but it's been completely debunked by anybody with a shred of credibility. I mean, we're lucky that the Georgia Secretary of State had credibility because if he wasn't, I mean, he's been loyal to Trump for years. If he years. was not, if he was not, I mean, that's the thing too with this irony of it all is all these court cases that have been struck down. A lot of them are Trump judges that are striking them down. Most the, he appointed the most judges a president has ever appointed. Yeah. And look at, you know, the Georgia governor, the Arizona governor, the Georgia Secretary of State, the Arizona Secretary of State. These are all Republicans that wouldn't, that wouldn't let him just basically strong arm them into rigging the election for him by adding votes, you know. And he could have gotten away with it if, if things were – if things – if we did not have at least a few decent Republicans out there who were willing to stop it. 
Well, I just wouldn't. I, when I first heard that, I was wondering how they plan on pulling that off. Like the the, I don't know what, where they would have said they found those votes, if they had been like, oh, we were. Oh, I was. You wouldn't believe. And it. And that's a thing. That's a thing. Is voter fraud is so hard to pull off that it would become yeah. incredibly obvious early. But Trump doesn't care. They would be yeah. the ones to blame for it, not him. You know. Yeah. And that's the issue is Trump is basically willing to completely sell anybody out, even these governors who have been loyal to him for years and years and years. He's willing to – like Mike Pence. He's willing to sell Mike Pence out. He hasn't talked to Mike Pence apparently in a week. You well, know, Pence was – like a bad breakup. Also yeah, vilified. <laughs> uh, Pence unfollowed Trump before his, his account was deactivated. I think that was actually a joke. Oh, I see, I'm so gullible when it comes to yeah. politics. And people said his header was like Joe Biden and Kamala. That was okay, a I joke knew that too. one. That was wasn't. I true. knew that one wasn't yeah. true. But Pence was like, it was a messy breakup. Yeah, it was. And now Pence is being vilified. He's putting on these. They're putting him on T-shirts that says like traitor. And yeah, Lynn Wood, who's was one of Trump's attorneys, literally tweeted, "Kill Mike Pence, hang Mike Pence." Like <laughs> it is insane. Which is why. These voices are getting silenced on social media. Yeah. Because I think uh, people have been telling me to watch Social Dilemma. I haven't watched it. Yeah. Uh, it's nice. um, but like, that's interesting. But that's like this right now, what's happening with uh, with people getting deactivated on Twitter, Parler, whatever, Facebook, Instagram. Social media is realizing that they caused all these problems. Yeah. Right? Well, I would say way. they caused it, but they were part of the issue. They're part of they're They're, they're, they're they definitely helped elevate the issues that have been going on for years. Yeah. They were implicit in it. They yeah. gave it a platform. But here's what I worry about. When you start silencing one side of voices, what happens to the other? You have yeah. to treat people equally, right? Yeah. Like but, you, well, I, I would just contest that entire argument because it's not really silencing. Like, the issue is that Trump violated the terms of service. They're not banning just, like, random yeah. Republicans on there. They're banning the people that were, like, blatantly, like, not even like Josh Hawley's been banned yet. Like it's really only been Trump, the people who has been also like talking about these riots and supporting them. I mean, it's not, and I think that's the narrative that people have is a silencing narrative, but it's really just kind of a, a, a hyperbole of the entire issue, you know. Also, Twitter's a product, not a right. Yeah, it, it's a private company, it's, you know. Yeah. Even they, if they were silencing them, they could do whatever they want. They're within their grounds to do that. Um, they're and, not an American institution. Right. Yeah. You can be upset about. It. It's like when NFL yeah. got players got cut for kneeling. Yeah. Right. Like they like, have that right. Yeah. It may not be. Teams have that right to correct, do that. But yeah. While it yeah. may not be right, they still have the ability to. Because they're a company. They're a private yeah. company. They're able to do whatever they want to. It's right. not in the Constitution that you have the right to tweet. Like that's yeah, not exactly. In the first, yeah. Which I don't know. Maybe Amy Coney Barrett thinks it is. But <laughs> yeah. In that first part. But yeah, it's very interesting to see how this will shake up. And if this starts a trend where I understand the fear. I get it. If you're a Nazi on Twitter, you're like, ah, oh, man, <laughs> don't take me off. I get it. <laughs> Not the And Nazi that's the thing. That, that's what it is. It, it, they're scaring people and saying, you know, it's me first, but it'll be you next. That's Trump's messaging the entire time is, you know, you know, you think they're coming for me, but they're coming for you. They're yeah. coming. They're, you know, I'm the target they for them. They got to go know? through me first. Right. That's this been messaging for years. You know, if you want to protect our Christian faith in America, if you want to, you know, protect us from BLM rioters and Antifa rioters, I'm the, I'm the line of defense for you. You know, and that's the messaging of social media. You know, they're going to ban me first, but you're going to be next if you don't take a stand right now and stop what's going on in our country. You know, they're going to steal the next election next if we don't stop the steal right here, you know. And I just I can't, I can't take it. If it's uh, if someone's afraid that they are going to lose their Twitter privileges for racism or like 
promoting Nazism, <laughs> be afraid. Yeah. Like, you've been able to say racist shit and Nazi propaganda for too long. And if you were like, oh, an end of a good thing, go to hell. Like, it doesn't mm. matter. You don't have a right to Twitter just because you downloaded it on your phone. That doesn't right. give you a reason to just spout racist shit. But these people have had this open field of right. the world's my no oyster. No accountability. No accountability. Yeah. Twitter's my oyster. I'm going to say some fucked up shit today. So I think this is social media's way of taking the accountability and being like, yeah. But is it too late? I feel like it gone. It went on for too long. I agree. We've talked a lot about how 2016 Twitter, 2014 Twitter was a war zone. And I think Twitter started to become that again. I mean, it's been that way for four years. But see... I think it's gotten worse the last couple of months. Yeah. But, it's, but it, it, I think it's still... It never took a break off. The, Maybe the it's just because that's all I'm used to, you know? Maybe it's just because that's all I've seen. on Because so, I didn't have a phone until my freshman year of high school. Oh, really? So I never really had social media until then either. That was good. So that's all I've seen is like this, this tw- Twitter or social media atmosphere, especially on Twitter, where... Um, you're allowed to say whatever you want, you know? Like, mm-hmm. it's it's the... Jack Dorsey wanted to create, like, a... I think it's <laughs> out of the fucking question now. The Wild West Twitter. The Wild West Twitter he wanted to create where it's like you could go on there and say anything, do anything that you would like. Right. Without being censored. Basically, parlor. But it's not, even, it's not even censorship. It's a matter of accountability, you know? Because they're not being censored for being racist. They're being held accountable for being racist. And that's where I think people... The language people use, like, the censorship thing, it's not really censorship. It's... It's people that are breaking the terms of service that are getting taken off the platform. Like that's all it really is by a yeah. private company. I understand. I get that. But yeah. there have been people that have been banned. Uh, I forget this one lady's name. Uh, but Joe Rogan talks about her fucking all the time. Um, she she got banned from Twitter. She's like anti-trans. <clears throat> and she said a man is not a woman. I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah. And the person that you're talking about, that's a lot of, like, sh- the person that you're talking about. She she's very like really anti-trans. She doesn't like, really short hair. Yeah. That's from, like, the UK. She said a lot of, like, really, 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 really bad things. And, th- like, that wasn't the reason why she got banned, if I recall correctly. I- I've heard a little bit about her. She, um, Yeah, she had said things in the public sphere that probably shouldn't be said. Right. But Twitter banned But it her. was, like, violent the way she's, like, it was, said some things that were... She she is like a perpetual victim complex, which she's yeah. done. And that's the problem with a lot of these people. They make themselves out to be the victim, when in reality all they've done is inflame all these things for years. And then the second they get they get taken off the platform, they just think it's the the end of the world, you know? Yeah. And they and they find ways to make it seem like there's oh I'm just an average person taken off the platform. But no, in reality, you did some really bad things on there. Yeah. You she know? also did bolster. She tweeted a man is never a woman, and then Twitter like notified her saying like you can't tweet this. And then she took down the tweet, posted a screenshot of Twitter, what Twitter had sent to her. And then after that, she got deactivated. I wish we had just a giant town wall in every city. And you would just, whatever you wanted to say, you'd put a little pin in it. And then if you got punched in the face, you got punched in the face. <laughs> like, I'm not saying violence is the answer, but you would at least feel some consequence for what you were putting into the ether. Nowadays on Twitter, I can tweet something from my room and be like, no one's going to come into my house and hit me. So yeah, that's, that's the problem is, is people are a lot less – that's exactly what it is. People are so much more willing to be inflammatory when they don't see people face-to-face. That's the yeah. issue, you know? Oh, for sure. I mean, people's 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 toughness behind yeah. the screen yeah. is insane. You'll think someone's like 6'5", 250, mm-hmm. and just massive, at, at, like, athlete, and then you meet them in person, and 
they're just like, what? I saw someone call Arnold Schwarzenegger a pussy. On <laughs> really? Twitter. Yeah, I, I don't think I would fly if you were with Arnold Schwarzenegger in person. He would. He would crush me. <laughs> I do it, and I it was like a guy holding like a fish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, what are you gonna do? If I bait Arnold Schwarzenegger, <laughs> mm-hmm. you're gonna put him on a hook? Not gonna happen. He'll crush you. But people feel emboldened because they don't have to talk to the governor of California, former governor, in person. You're right. never gonna meet him. He's. It's not like you'll see him in a grocery store and he's like, Ah, John two thirty four. I remember what you said on Twitter. And then like, <laughs> it's not. That's never gonna happen. Like, did you see? Did you see uh, Schwarzenegger's statement of what happened? That's where yeah, it was really good. That was it. Was great statement. Uh, I think it's really cool that he did that. I do too. But someone was like, "That was you're a pussy," and f- what part of that video made him seem like that, <coughs> or whatever the connotation is? Good with the question. Word? Yeah, don't know. But I know that you wouldn't say that to Arnold in person. <laughs> I know. No, you'd be stupid to say that. You'd to be Arnold, stupid. Yeah. I don't think anyone could say that to him. And he'd be like, all right. <laughs> like, that would, you're too strong for me. Like, that would never happen. <laughs> Joe, you, you have a great Arnold impersonation, by the way. Mm, thank you. It's, I just swallow my tongue and then <laughs> uh-huh. put words out. But I did watch that statement, and I, I think he had a he lot did of a good stuff. job. I agree. Um, I don't have anything else to say. Yeah, it's been almost two hours at this point, <sighs> hour and a half. It's going to be a fun editing process. <laughs> yeah, I, be- I believe in you, Joey. I Thank you. you. Um, anything else you have to say, Nick, to Not plug like your Twitter? Think of, no, my Twitter is NickRoberts317. That's my Twitter and Instagram. I-, I decided to become more professional and have the same name for Twitter and Instagram. My name is Nick Roberts, so it's incredibly generic. I spent about two hours trying to find something. That's because I was like, Roberts, Nick, no. You know, Nick Roberts with like some kind of like, you know, one in there something. No, that doesn't work. Like, I am Nick Roberts. No, that doesn't work. It's like I went through like a million ideas. Like I even looked on like social media name ideas. None of them applied to Nick Roberts. It was a very hard process, but I settled with Nick Roberts three one seven. So that's good. That's people, classic. People know people know where I'm from too. It works. On I changed levels. mine from Ranbir Sandu in to underscore Ranbir Sandu. That works even better. Yeah. See, I like that. Make improvements. Yeah, you know, yeah. just little tiny things make it easier for people to find you. Yeah, I um, completely agree. But hey, guys, uh, please throughout all this. Stay positive. Um, at least try. You know, look at Joey's little bright head on on Instagram if you're feeling down. Look at my what? Your bright head. My bright head? Yeah, like your your face. It's so pretty. Is his head been... is his head bright? Described as that before. <laughs> See, I kind of misspoke in the in the moment. It's okay. We'll. It's okay. Well, yeah, we'll edit well, it out. I'm not going to. Well, Nick, thank <laughs> you for coming on. Uh, please stay out of trouble on I'll Twitter. I'll try to be a kind person. Yeah. Yeah. Don't don't start. Stay out of trouble. Yeah, stay out of and, trouble. Uh, and we need you on this podcast. Yeah. We want you to come back for a third time, I'm sure, in the future. Uh-huh. News Thank is you. ever happening, ever changing. Yeah, I don't think anything's going to happen anytime soon. It's just nothing's happening anymore. Oh, you know, inauguration's coming around. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, we, I guess we might be talking to you about another staged coup. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. God forbid. But uh, to our listeners out there, why don't you uh, stay messed up for And us? stay beautiful, stay positive, COVID negative. Thank you for listening to another fresh episode of Fresh Take with Joey and Ranveer. If you like what you're hearing, please give us a follow on Twitter, uh, Fresh Take WRJ. Uh, leave us a review on Spotify. Follow us, subscribe to us, show us some love because we truly do love you guys. And I hope to see you guys next week.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code GLOW.